This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues that shape our lives with your guides, Dr. Matthew Jacoby and DJ Payne. Matthew, as of the release of this podcast, not in nine days' time, it's June the 1st. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm... I'm glad about that. <laughs> now, on June the 1st, yeah. I begin a six-month Bible reading program that I've written myself. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, six, see, six months. Now, yeah. that's... Hardcore. That's, in, that's hardcore, that is. Well, did you ever, did you ever when you were younger, <laughs> and, you know, let's, let's, because we're, you know, we've been in Thrive Deeper and in, in some other stuff, we've been reading through the book of Revelation. And the words that keep springing back to mind to me, like, that's pierced my heart, mm. are the letters to the churches, right? Yeah. And, you know, Jesus saying, I just wish you would come back to your first love. Mm. You know, like, mm. love, love me and others like you used to, you know, yeah. in the early days. Yeah. And I think back of those early days where I was passionate, you know, this mm. young man passion that you have yeah. when you when you first realise things and you, you get a heart for the gospel and a heart for the world. Mate, reading through the Bible, like I, I think there was a couple of years there yeah. that I read through the Bible multiple times in wow. one year. Yeah. You know, it was just nothing. You just spend an yeah. hour or two reading mm. through and stuff like that. Now in our old age yeah. and in the in the lifestyle and everything that we have now, we sort of treat it like, oh, reading through the Bible is such a big commitment. And yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I read through the Old Testament for the first time ever, and it was six months. It took about, you... it took me about six months. Okay, all right. Well, I'm, well, I'm putting it out there. I'm putting, I'm, I'm putting it out there. I want you to cast your eyes over to make sure I haven't done anything yeah. dodgy. But I, I, I've, I've taken a few different sources of chronological read-throughs, mm. and I've, I, one, one thing I, I've, I've really avoided because some chronological, you know, walkthroughs will have one verse here, and then one verse here, and then one verse. You know, they yeah, really yeah. chop up chapters. Yeah. I haven't done that. I want to keep the chapters all whole. Yeah. And and go through go through it in chronological as it happened, and I've done that over six months, and I want to do that from June the first. So everyone is more than welcome to join me. Yeah, all the way through well, to the end of November. Put it up. Put it up on the, on oh, the Thrive Depot. I'll yeah. have it everywhere. Don't worry Good. about that. So I'm excited because this is where where we get into today's episode. I love the Bible. Yeah, and nowadays me too. nowadays when you say that out loud to people. They sort of look at you. <laughs> they look at you like you're, you know, oh, ooh, you know, yeah, there's yeah. something wrong with you. Yeah, I, 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 you know, and even that's, I feel a little bit about that sometimes in the church where I talk to other Christians and I start waxing lyrical about how much I love the Word of God, mm. and they sort of look at me like I'm not all there. It's like you need to move on or something. Yeah, yeah, come on, yeah, <laughs> no, whatever. I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's not what uh, people think, but yeah. um, it is. Uh, it is an important element of our faith that perhaps is, you know, it's not the most sensational or, you know, just reading the Bible. It's quite, it seems very mundane, so it's yeah. not something that perhaps seem very, seems very exciting. But it is the seedbed on, you know, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the message of God. And, Amen. Um, that's, it's all going to grow. Our life is going to grow out of our engagement with with God's word. So, it's incredibly, incredibly important, and I guess what I, what I was keen to talk about today was the origins of the Bible. Mm. I believe we have every reason to trust the Bible, Great. and that doesn't come from a place of sort of 
uh, fundamentalist naivety, let's just close our eyes to biblical criticism and to yes. historical criticism. Uh, I'm that's, aw- that's, that's much more where I'm happy sitting. <laughs> I'm happy I'm, sitting in that I'm spot. aware, <laughs> I, you know, I'm aware of that and I've read through a lot of that and I, I still trust the Bible. I, I still believe it is inspired by God. I, uh, I think it is true in mm. what it reports. Amen. And, uh, and I think there is no reason to doubt it. Now, um, you know, the, a lot of the a lot of the criticism that comes the way of the Bible subscribes to a methodology that I already think is problematic, and mm-hmm. I think I've spoken about this before. It's this methodological doubt which says something: the text is guilty until it's been proven innocent. Yeah, yeah. Now that's that's the kind of standard way that scholarship proceeds, and in many respects, it's you know, in a lot of fields. For example, in science, that's an important methodology in yes. science and so forth. Um, because so- because the opposite is also false. Yeah, like just because mm-hmm. a, just because a text says it's this or something is so true, you don't just accept it because it's been written down. Yeah, that's right. You know, but where where you're looking to something historical historical events that create the basis for a decision that I need to make. You know, Mm. Jesus rose from the dead. Mm. Um, That issues a challenge to us and upon that challenge we need to make a decision. Now the problem, and this is a a problem that uh, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, the Danish philosopher, in his criticism of critical scholarship, particularly in relation to the Bible, he says the problem is that this methodological doubt never you never arrive at a point of certainty because mm. you 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 doubt this and you come up with this idea but then that idea then needs to be doubted mm-hmm. and then someone comes up with a new idea and then and you so you have this endless process of scholarly doubt yeah uh, that keeps the scholarly institution going yeah. you know to get a doctoral thesis in history or something i need to question something that someone else has done yeah so so i have to proceed on the basis of this methodological doubt and it so it keeps the in, the institutional scholarship going but it's not great for faith because at some point we need to make a decision. But I think there's something cultural in that. I think the culture that we live in now has, has been affected by that method. Of, yeah, you know, that's like, right. Like <clears throat> the magazines and the newspapers and everything, a lot of times the way that things go viral or are popular is by somebody saying, oh, you think this? Well, actually, it's that like, yeah. you, you, you know, you've always thought that the sky was blue. Mm. Well, actually... It's yeah. not, you know, like there's a lot of that type of culture and yeah. you pull down, you pull down what has gone before yeah. to say something new and make that's, yourself that's look clever. The, that's the standard methodology really. Mm. Now it's not that historical scholarship isn't important. We need to take the evidence into account and the problem here is this it's guilty until proven innocent. Okay. This is That's the problematic yes. approach. Yep. Um, in archaeology, it's you know biblical archaeology is famous for this. You know, for, they couldn't find any evidence of the Davidic kingdom, and they thought, oh, maybe he was just some insignificant tribal chieftain, mm. because we haven't got any evidence. So they again, it's guilty until proven innocent. Yeah, and then they found it. Tell Dan they found an inscription with the house of David, and suddenly, oh, gee, okay, he had that reach of influence. So maybe he was then, and so everyone was saying, oh no, actually, sorry, everyone. <laughs> There was uh, there was a King David, and yeah. he actually was quite influential. Mm. And so, so this 
what's known as archaeological minimalism, with this yeah. idea that if we don't actually have evidence for it, mm. then it didn't happen. So this is applied, for example, to the Exodus, and we discussed this yeah. in relation to the Exodus. Didn't happen. There was no wandering in the because we haven't found anything yet. Mm. Well, mm. I mean, they wandered in the desert. They were nomads. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't have carried a lot of heavy. You know, what do you expect implement? to find? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. So this approach that says, well, it's, we're just going to assume it's false until we, through our very limited methodology, mm-hmm. are going to prove it to be true, mm-hmm. I think that's deeply problematic. I agree. The, you know, we need to ask the question, do we, do we have really good reasons to doubt this? I would rather operate from that yes. point of view. Yep. And as a Christian, I have joined a family that extends back thousands of years, mm. a family. Mm. And... I have no reason to doubt those who came before me. Mm. Now, it's not that everything that happen, has happened is perfect or... But, you know, when I look at the apostles and the prophets and, and I read their writings, I think I have no reason to doubt what they're saying. Yeah. You know, the apostles lived and died for their testimony. Mm. And... Uh, I, I would need a really good reason to doubt. And I've mm. looked at, you know, I've looked at the, you know, people say, well, this New Testament letter says that it's written by Paul, but it's not really written by Paul. It's just someone saying that because they wanted to give it more authority. Really? How I, do you, yeah. I, yeah, you know, I, I can't, um, you know, this is, and, and, and this for, is difficult to see how in, in the family of God at that time mm. for these these people who were living and many of them being martyred for their faith, that they would subscribe to abject falsehoods like that. And many of them knew Paul. Yeah. You know, type of thing. Oh, absolutely. And and even and even let me let me sort of be careful to say this. In the life of the early church, when Paul was alive, he wasn't exactly the most popular character in amongst the early church for some people as well. So you you know, the the point is for people who, who who aren't really uh, you know, you're, you're very well versed in what you study and everything about bitter, b- biblical criticism and and everything like that. Some of the reasons why people nowadays, you know, two thousand years later, would sit down and go, "Well, we've analysed it and we think that maybe Paul didn't actually write this, or he didn't write that, or he wrote that." Some of the reasons they would say that is the use of words or particular vocab. Yeah. What are some of the reasons why people would say that? Well, Paul, we know uh, that other than. Maybe this is my cynical take. Yeah. Other than them wanting to look very clever, yeah, and they've you know come up yeah. with a new way of and doing and all of something. those things, difference in language, you know, all of that stuff may simply be a different scribe that he used. Like- okay, that, and that's an important point because a lot of people don't realise that for Paul and for, and definitely for Peter and for other writers, mm. they used scribes. We know that because he says this part I'm writing in my own hand yeah, at the yeah. end of some of his letters. And, and, and these scribes were professional writers. Yeah, that's right. You know, professional yeah. writers who, would, who you know, Paul would, Paul would work out the ideas and, you know, talk to them and stuff. And it wasn't – but there wasn't like an editorial going on as well. Well, I mean, there, there are different kinds of things happening in the way that – the things get written down. So at the moment we're talking about the New Testament. Well, you know, Paul dictated his letters, as did Peter probably. And, uh, well, I mean, that, no, he, they may have written at yeah. some of them at yes. some points. We're not always sure where, when it was themselves dictating or if they were yeah. writing, but uh, often that's stated in the letters. Mm. So there are reasons why there may be, why there may be differences. Like, you know, to doubt, to really doubt when it says 
this is by Paul. Mm. I mean, I just think you need better reasons Mm. Mm. uh, to doubt that because I think there is this methodological suspicion. Sorry, I'm stuttering over my words here. I'm tired. (laughs) That that I think pervades scholarship, historical scholarship. We're just going to be suspicious. You know, we're going to think the worst of people lie. They're lying. They're all Mm. lying. Really? Mm. I, I, this, this does not ring true because the, and, and one of the reasons that I think that is because when you step into this, and this is, this is I think, an important this aspect of this. When you step into this and you actually do what they say and you live the life that they're pointing to, to the best of our ability, mm. you realise, oh, this is, this is true. They are, they are telling the truth here. They are laying out a pathway. And it's not just a pragmatic like this works, but there's a, there's a sense of self-authentication about it. And, uh, and I think when, when you live inside of this and you then relate through that to these writers who wrote these things, you think it's very difficult to accept that they're all liars and that there's some it's, – it's just not true to the facts either from a subjective or even an objective point of view. 100%. So, um, so I guess I'm, I'm looking to apply uh, its innocent and until proven guilty mm. approach. That's, is that, that's a methodology that I would want to apply. Yeah. Um, and and I, would go, I would apply that even right back into the Old Testament. Now, of course, again – I, you know, let's not be naive. Let's not discard, you know, historical uh, scholarship. Um, this doesn't mean that the Bible just fell out of the sky in pristine form. You know, they use different, th- there are uh, different oral traditions that are drawn in, different, uh, even different documents that have incorporated. There are complex editorial processes talking about the Old Testament now mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, I, I think, for the first five books of the Old Testament, I think there's basically a mosaic authorship un- underneath there. Mm. But as is evident in the text itself, there's clearly uh, editorial yeah. work going yes. on there. The yeah. final form didn't come until uh, later, maybe time of Joshua, even after that, because yeah. you have statements like, to this day, yes. the death of Moses even is yeah. narrated yeah. there. So, exactly. so there's a complex process uh, by which this was put together. But but I think but, but let me just say mm. let me just add, add into that Matt that the 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 Word of God itself the Bible itself claims that complex process owns that complex process doesn't try to I do, like we we sometimes set up a straw man mm. that you know like you bring up the Moses or author authorship type of thing. Well, nowhere in the text itself is, is, is it claiming a simple process that Moses sat down yeah, that's right. with that's a pen right. and paper. No one's saying that. Yeah. No one's saying, it's a straw man saying, oh, well, you Christians believe. And it's like, well, hang on. Nowhere has that been our tradition. Nowhere has that been the, our belief that it was some simple process. We actually believe it was a complex process, but we do believe that God had his hand that's right. in every moment of that process. Yeah, that's and right. we still have the word, word today. That's right. There's the providence of God all the way through it. A good yeah. way of illustrating it is to use the the incarnation of God in Christ. Mm. In a sense, 
you know, we say of Christ that he was fully God but also fully human. Yeah. And I think the same is true of the Bible. It's it's very human. It's written from a human perspective within, yes. you know, even the Old Testament. We, we did that session on, on, you know, Genesis and so forth. And clearly it's written from within uh, an ancient Near Eastern cosmology uh, and kind of in dialogue with that. So it's got this... It's got this human perspective, and yet it's got this divine element as well. It, yeah. it, it, it's this kind of stunning s- statement of, of faith that is in many ways unlike anything else mm. that is so far before its time in many respects. Um, although that's a funny thing to say because it, creates, it created <laughs> the time, it created the culture that we now are familiar with. Yeah. So, um, so there is... Definitely that human element to it, but there is also that divine element to it. Yeah. God is speaking to us through in and through the Bible. You know, a lot of the books like, you know, the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, you know, they made predictions and there was a simple criteria for judging whether a prophet was a real prophet or not a real prophet. Mm. Uh, if they predicted something and it didn't come about, well, they would be they would have to be killed yeah. because... <laughs> Well, the point is you don't mess with yeah. false, prof- false, you know, claiming Amen. that God has said something when God hasn't said something is, uh, is a really serious business. Yeah, yeah. Let's just pause there for a moment because I think that's, you know, there are many times, if, if I may just insert a little footnote here, there are many times where I feel completely certain that God has put something on my heart to express mm. to the church or to someone else. I will always express it with an element of subjectivity in there. Look, yeah. I just really feel that, you know, God put this on my heart, yeah. feel that this might be something that would encourage you mm. because, you know, I could be wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, biblical prophecy is of a different different nature yeah. and it was included because they got it right. Yeah, yeah. It was seen, oh, um, Isaiah predicted things even within his lifetime that came about and they took it serious. And then he yeah. pre- predicted things beyond, well beyond his lifetime and that came about too. And okay, he was a biblical prophet. In goes his book. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I think that's, I think that's, you know, that's a great introduction. And, and for this first part, as we, as we, as we approach the Bible and, you know, and part of what we're doing with Thrive Perspectives is sort of trying to come up with, you know, a simple way to talk about how a Christian sees the world. And I, and I think the most foundational element for us is the word of God, is the yep. Bible, because let's be honest, without it, there is no yep. Christianity. There is, there is none of this. Mm. There, is, there is none of this. So, the first question, I think, the build build on what you've just explained there is: How did we get it? How mm. do we get the Bible today? And I know that there's difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. Yep. So very, very, very lightly, because we could spend. Yeah. You know, okay. I'll give a, I'll give a quick summary. So the Old Testament, let's start with that, was written down in Hebrew and some Aramaic in there as well. And that comes to us through a kind of guild of scribes. Now, the thing with scribes, they did their work with such a sense of, of um, seriousness and it was a sacred task to copy off the Bible. It wasn't just a mundane thing. Mm. It was a sacred spiritual task that they took very, very seriously. Mm. They There were all of these checks and balances, ways in which they would check the text to make sure if they made a mistake on a section of of uh, skin or parchment, whatever they were using, it would be chucked out. That that was how seriously they they took that. So when when 
scrolls would wear out, they would actually throw them out because there was a danger that if words started to fade, someone could read it and it wouldn't actually express what it was meant to express. Yeah. And these are scribes taking the original works. Yeah. And we, and we even get this process talked about in the Old Testament itself with the prophets. Yeah. And Jeremiah had a – like they yeah. had, he had a team of people working had with him. Yeah. Had a scribe. Had a scribe. Work this out, take these scrolls, you know, copy these. You know, so we get, we get the process. The original word is given yep. to the prophet – Yep. Or to the author, they make an original work, and then the scribes are, or, you know, and the people who are following them yep. have got the responsibility to make copies yep. to make sure it's all correct, yep. and to and to start establishing establishing that. Yeah, that's right. And so, um, and and then it and then it gets copied off with the scribal tradition. So we, in a really important historical event that I guess. Um, really underscored how well they did their work was when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered and there was a scroll of Isaiah that was a thousand years older than the earliest scroll of Isaiah that we had, wow. uh, namely uh, probably the Aleppo Codex that was kind of the oldest sort of Old Testament because, of course, when it wore, wore out, they would make copies and destroy it and and so... We didn't really have access, but, but these these were scrolls that were kind of chucked out. But we discovered them, mm. and the they were know, they're in the worn out process. They're, okay, yeah, they're, they're in the worn out we've process. Used this yeah. one so there was okay, a thousand years of copying, yeah. and the differences were minimal. Yeah. I mean, there was some updating, and, yeah. and, and in some senses, that was legitimized in some ways. And when you say updating, they're not like saying, "All right, we're going to no, no. change the story." Yeah, we're talking about the yeah. the, the text, the That's punctuation, right. and, and on the whole. I mean, we're talking a thousand years. Yeah. It was remarkable yeah. how well they did their work. Yeah. When it comes to the the New Testament, what we have here is not so much a stri- scribal tradition, uh, but we have the sheer number of copies that were made. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the, we don't have the original copies of, say, the Gospels, but um, copies were made of of what they wrote, and then copies of those copies. And so there are copy traditions. So what a copy tradition is, imagine branches of a tree. So you've got the trunk. Yes. Then you've got one branch that goes off and they take it down to Egypt, right? And there's a whole copy tradition because in isolation, right, yep. they make copies of copies. So you get another tree growing out there. Someone goes up to Syria. You know, someone goes out to, you know, Rome or, yes. or somewhere else. Yep. Um, and so you get these different copy traditions in different places that are isolated from each other. So if you go right to the end of the tree, uh, you know, and, and if you've got agreement, I mean, even not right at the end of the tree, but if you if you take any given reading and you get agreement between that tradition and that tradition and that tradition, you can with mathematical certainty yeah. know that, well, that was... Now, that doesn't mean there aren't still some disputed readings and there are, yeah. but they're relatively uncontroversial, now, really. And that's a great point that you bring up there and that's a really... And I love the way you've just given... We've zoomed through that. Yeah. That's beautiful because <clears throat> there are there are many resources and books and, and beautiful things out there, even YouTube videos that you can find that go on about, you know, the, the, yeah. these, the, this whole world of how we got the Bible. Now... You mentioned there, especially for the New Testament, um, some of those, uh, you know, the branches that we're, mm. you're talking about, well, this branch includes these verses over here, but this branch doesn't. Yeah. Or after a certain time, all of a sudden these, uh, there, there, there is, and when we say there's a few verses, I mean there's a handful in the New Testament yeah. where some, you know, uh, some transcripts don't have it and some mm. do, some copies do. 
this is where we get a few uh, people getting very concerned because in the 1600s, we had the KJV, we had the King James Version that had one version of text. Mm. We are now sitting here 400 years later. Mm. And this is a really important point that blew my mind when I actually started Mm. looking at it. 400 years later... There's part of us in our natural mind that thinks, well, hang on, they were 400 years closer to the time of Christ, so they were more holy or more accurate or more right, or they had younger copies. But in Uh, reality, okay, okay, no, 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 I'm just telling you (laughs) how the natural person thinks. You know, like you sort of go, okay, they were closer to that time, so the further away we get from Christ, maybe the the worse the copies are. But in reality, when it comes to New Testament scholarship, we have more text now than they, than they way more than yeah. they had 400 years ago. Yeah, that's right. And um, so the King James Bible was a translation, an English translation. Okay, it was an English translation. Any any Greek text now is a compilation text. Okay, it's using the best of the evidence that we have, and they put together a Greek text. Okay, from Greek texts, the evidence that we have now um, in the around because 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 the New Testament was written in the language. Uh, uh, Koine Greek, yeah. so common Greek, okay? Uh, and it was written in, there's some talk about maybe there was original uh, Aramaic version. I mean, I, not many people argue that. No. It was um, the gospel writers wrote for a very broad audience and Greek was the common language that was spoken yep. around the world. So it makes sense that they wrote in that language anyway. So um, when uh, there was a guy called Erasmus of Rotterdam late, uh, 1400s, early 1500s, he um, made a – the big craze then was getting back to the original sources, okay? Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to make an a, 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 let's read the New Testament in Greek again. Let's get back behind the Latin. He had about, I think, about seven, uh, maybe a dozen. I can't remember exactly. It, wouldn't, it wasn't more than a dozen. Uh, I think it was even like seven to nine or something like that, mm-hmm. texts available to them, mainly late, quite late uh, texts sort of late from the late medieval period, so yes. copies, you know, copies of copies, and um, he used those. He, he he produced this Greek text, and and it's known as the text became known as the Textus, Textus Receptus, Receptus. Yep. and it, it had this <laughs> it's a great name. Yeah, at, well, it was given by a publishing company called Elsevier's. <laughs> I mean, it was there to say this is the received text that yep. was Textus Receptus because you know it was the text used during the Reformation, and so mm. it had this kind of sanctity associated yeah. with it. And um, the problem is is that it's based on a very little evidence. Now, it's pretty – it's good. Yeah. Okay, there's, there's not that much and uh, that's difference. Where, and that is from but where we were, get, yeah, we get right. the King James. Yeah, we get the King James from that. So um, in the meantime, since then, I've, we now have thousands of manuscripts, like five over 5,000 full manuscripts when, when going I first- back to – Going back to, uh, you know, we've got from 130 AD a fragment of John's Gospel. We've got a full New Testament even at 250 AD wow. and, and thousands and thousands branching out into different traditions. That, then that's, this is important to say, that the people who created the King James Version yeah. did not... Didn't have that. Wasn't even aware that that was even possible. Yeah, well, they were using the, the Textus Receptus. Yeah. Okay? And look, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty close. But you, you have those... Things like when you read your English Bible, you will because remember the verses are added later. Mm-hmm. Okay, the verses are added as in the number number. Yeah, the, the numbered verses system. are added. I think in the fifteen hundreds somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 
some people are uh, disturbed by the fact that when they read the NIV, for example, that it'll skip a verse. Mm. And that's because there was a verse that was translated from this Textus Receptus into the King James that was probably a scribal edition, like mm. the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, okay, mm. from the Lord's Prayer. Yes. Now, that most probably was a scribal edition, like a liturgical edition uh, to the text. And there was probably good reason why they yeah. added it and in. And it's great. Like it's, this is what the early this is what I say when I go to church. Yeah. Now when we read this, so I'll add, I'll add it in, you yeah. know, type of thing. Like I'm just making what, you up. You write a, it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll write, like, like the you know whatever the scribal addition to the to yeah. to the Lord's prayer. Yeah. The Lord's prayer had had, had traditionally by the time that the scribe is writing it, yeah. added in that amen part. Yeah. Now when we get back to the earliest documents, yeah, having that, well, it doesn't include that. That that's you right. Know, it yeah. doesn't include that. So. You know, we've got this. We've got yeah, this so, so the NIV, you know, I mean, and there are things that the NIV includes, but says the earliest manuscripts don't have this. Like John eight, the story about the woman brought yes. caught in adultery. The you know, whoever is without sin, letting cast the first stone. Okay, now the earliest, most reliable manuscripts don't have that story. And mm. now, it, it, you know, we think it's probably a story that happened, but it was maybe included at a later stage. And mm. so, okay. Um, it's important to yeah. to state that so they still include it there, but there are a number of other verses, of course, that that you'll see the King James or the New King James yeah. that have that the NIV and that, and that the NIV won't because based on all of the evidence that is available to the NIV and it's not that I mean there are all sorts of conspiracy theories here honestly yeah. the stuff that I've you know stuff that people <laughs> put out there oh did you realise the NIV skips verses mm-hmm. it's you know it's taking away from the Word of God yeah. no no it's not. Uh, it's much more complex than that. Um, the NIV is making use of all of the textual evidence that we have. Textual evidence that is so abundant, we can be pretty certain of what was in the but, original. But the, here's an important point, is that this study, this area of study, is hasn't stopped. We, yeah. we, we sort of feel like, oh, we've arrived. Yeah. You know, we have this sense of Christians in the yeah. year 2020 to think, well, we've got it all together, we've arrived. But no, there are guys and girls out there now oh, yeah. studying. Yeah, textual, yeah, that's right. Pulling out, finding new, there's, there's you yeah. know, research, there's all this that's stuff. Right. That's right, textual studies, uh, it's, a big, it's a big field. Yeah. And, the, and the beautiful thing about this, and we're gonna we'll wrap up this this half of it. We'll have a break now. The beautiful thing about all of this elements, and this sort of brings us to the next part of the conversation, is that with all of the development that's still going, with all of modern science working as hard as it can around all of this, the Bible still stands. As in, yeah. it's being proven correct. Yeah. You know, it's it's been proven accurate. It's been proven, yes, this is actually the mm. translate. This is actually what, you know, yeah. what That's which, right. which is an amazing yeah. testimony. Yeah. So I think after the break we'll have a talk about how the books were chosen to be okay. included, what why which books were chosen. Yeah. Uh, and there are some slight differences there yeah. depending on which version of the Bible. So that's an interesting topic too. All right, let's have a break right now. You're on Thrive Perspectives with Matt and DJ. We're talking all things the Bible.
Hey there family, it's your old pal DJ here and I want to let you know about something a little bit different that I would love you to get involved in if you're interested. This is not going to be for everybody. I haven't done for 2020 yet a Bible read-through. I love to read through the Bible every year. Well, I haven't even started one and we're already in May. So what I've done is I've been very ambitious and I have written my own chronological Bible reading program that we can do together in six months. A six-month read through the entire Bible in chronological order as it happened. Now, if that sounds fascinating to you, if that sounds interesting and you're ready for the challenge, it's not going to be that hard, especially with a lot of the audio Bible apps that are available now. Plus, I want to use social media to encourage you every day in our daily reading guide. So that is what my plan is. Starting on the 1st of June, finishing at the end of November, over six months, we're going to read through the Bible chronologically together. Now, if that sounds exciting then here's what you need to do. Follow me on social media, DJ P-A-I-N-E. That's pain with an E on the end. You can follow me on social media. You'll find me across any social media that you choose, uh, whether that's Facebook or whether that's uh, Instagram, Twitter, whatever one you want to be on. You'll find me there. You can contact me through there. Or better yet, head over to thrivetoday.tv. Thrivetoday.tv. Use the contact form and just let me know, hey, DJ, I'm interested in the six-month Bible reading program. It's totally free. I'm going to give you all the material you need, and I want to encourage you as I go through it as well. So that's what we're going to be doing on the 1st of June. I know, I know, you've probably got a lot of other stuff going on, and I expect this only for the brave few who want to commit the time to do this. It's not going to be that much time, and like I said, audio Bibles are fantastic for this. So Join with me on the 1st of June. You can uh, use the contact form at thrivetoday.tv and we will read through the Bible together in six months. Let's do it. All right, now back with Matthew Jacoby. Perspectives. It's DJ here. Sitting opposite me is uh, Matt Jacoby. And we are looking at the Bible because mm. I'm going to say, like, without the Bible, without it being, you know, true and right and correct and mm. all of these things that we hold to, we don't exist yeah, as Christians. Right. Yeah, like, this right. whole thing is all pretty sad and sorry if all of a sudden we go, oh, we found a text that says, Haha, it's all a joke or whatever. But, you know, so far over thousands and thousands of That's years. That's right. Our faith is based on the fact that God has revealed himself to people and, uh, and, and their testimony is written down in the Bible, that he has written, not only revealed himself to just one person but many, many people. Uh, the message that he has given to all of them is very consistent uh, he has revealed himself with signs and wonders and prophecies that were fulfilled. It was a very difficult thing to fake biblical prophecy yeah. because there were certain expectations around what would and wouldn't be. You couldn't just say, oh, hey, yeah, an angel came to me in a cave and told me this. 
uh, sorry, but that doesn't that doesn't count. Mm. Uh, let's give it, you know, let's give it a hundred years and see if that all comes true, and then maybe we'll think about it. I mean, yeah. that's the kind of process that is involved here. So, um, uh, they it, biblical revelation was always attested with signs and wonders and and all sorts of things. You know, yeah. like in the time of Moses, in the time of Christ, mm. in the apostolic era, mm. uh, in even among the prophets themselves, there yes. were these stringent requirements for. This being recognised as prophetic, so you, it'd be very difficult to fake this. Yeah. And and there were times where they wouldn't would have wanted to have faked it, like during the intertestamental, what we call the intertestamental period. Uh, the last biblical Bible writing prophet was Malachi, mm. and it was generally accepted by uh, Jewish rabbis that that there is this period of silence. And there were other things that were written, but they're not they're not given the same authority yep. because again they don't meet this very very strict criteria. Well, and there are actually some really good stuff there, but they just don't <laughs> meet this strict well, criteria. Well, you, you've you've brought up a, you know a great point here, and this is a great question of how you know the Bible uh, is is in two parts: yep. the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yep. One before that, you know, Malachi finishes off the Old Testament, yep. and and uh, you know it, it's a series. Of books, prophecies, um, you know, uh, you know, scribes working on a history, you know, type mm. of thing. That's the Old Testament there, and then a space of about four or five hundred years, and then we have the New Testament, yep. you know, which is the life of Christ, the apostles, and the early church mm. letters, and you know, writing down what happened there. Yep, the two hours. All of that is sixty-six books. Yeah, sixty-six books. Some of them letters, but we just call them yep. all books, right? Yeah, sixty-six right. books in our library. That is the Bible. But there are many other accounts of the gospel, or a letter here, mm. or a uh, you know the Book of Enoch, or other you know books yep. of history mm. that other religions, other denom- some denominations, the Roman Catholic Church, mm. and some others recognize different parts. Why do we, as Protestant or Evangelical Christians, only consider the Bible to be the 66 books that we use today? Yeah. Well, that's an important question. With regards to the Old Testament, this is an unfolding uh, thing. The first five books of the Bible are the first to be uh, really accepted. Yep. The law. Um, the law, what we now know uh, as the law. There were some Jewish uh, sects, the Sadducees, for example, even in the first century, that only still accepted that. Yeah. But the uh, really the the dominant view amongst the Jewish people was the base Old Testament that we have today. So as Christians, we hold to that that Old Testament. Now I've described a little bit of that process. I mean, it was very there were very strict kind of criteria for what got to be included and its association with particular figures. Um, its association with prophets or prophetic schools, uh, the you know mosaic origins, a number of different things that went together to, I guess, call those books into what we call the canon. Mm. The canon is the and, and have we got it right? Closed, we, uh, yep. you know, collection. Have we have we got it right that um, a lot of the like my my very bird's eye view of of this part of the history of Jewish history is that as the people came back from Babylon in that period of history, mm. we had uh, you know a, you know a few big leaders. One of them being Ezra. The priest. Now, mm. he, he and his team were very instrumental in in pulling together what we would consider to be the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. So they, yeah, these figures are quite um, and uh, uh, 
enormous significance, actually, and and they are drawing this together. They're copying it off. They're drawing us. To, they're drawing it together. Yeah. Now, I spoke of the intertestamental period. There are mm. other books. Um, like the books of Maccabees, and um, which some of it's great history. It's yeah, it's and it's really interesting read. Um, I'm just going to a, a list of some of these books, like uh, the book of Tobit, the book of Judith, great story, story of Judith. Uh, additions to the book of Esther, the wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiastic, Ecclesi- Ecclesiasticus, book of Baruch, Epistle of Jeremiah. You know, it's the story of Susanna, First yeah. and Second Maccabees. In, for example, in Roman Catholic Bibles, these will be included. Yes. Now, the reason for that is that they, you know, the Roman Catholic Church ascribes authority not just to Scripture as such, but also tradition as well. Yes. And so, the, the, you know, these belong to Jewish tradition in that sense. And so uh, they, I guess, um, have included that and given it the imprint of tradition, the church's yes. authority, you know, put their stamp of, um, and we, of we, acceptance we on We that. would commonly call that, some people would call that the apocrypha. The apocrypha, yeah. Whereas, whereas as, as Protestants we stick probably with the stricter yep. guidelines of what counts as Scripture because I think we put a lot more emphasis on what actually is inspired Scripture. Mm. Um, now when it comes to the, uh, to the New Testament, the... The actual how the books of the Old Testament comes together is um, is a little shady. We, we, we don't know as much about that. What We do know much more about how the New Testament books came together. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been reading um, quite a bit of literature from the early church period, and I mean from the generation after the apostles, mm. and I'm amazed oh. at the quotations from... Paul, Peter, the Gospels, they're talking about the fourfold Gospel at this mm-hmm. early, early stage. Yep. Uh, I, the, you know, the, these letters um, are just littered with quotations from yep. Peter, Paul, Gospels. Yep. Yep. So they are already, this first generation, are already absolutely steeped in these writings. Yes, yes. And so there is this sense of... Uh, and already referring to it as scripture. Yeah. Well, from we, the earliest, we, from the, uh, the very next generation. I, but we even see it within the first generation itself, right. you know, Peter and Paul yeah. calling each other's, you know, Paul calling Luke's gospel scripture, yeah. you know, type of thing. Yeah. And I love the fact I was looking at something just the other day. I'll see if I can remember. I think it's in Romans. Is it in Romans or in one of the works of Paul where he says, you know, you do not, um, you know, uh, you, you don't, uh, muzzle the ox in what it, what, what it's doing is I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, do not muzzle the ox as it's turning out the grain. Yeah. And then he says, like, and scripture says, you know, a workman is is worth you yeah. know his wage. So he's so Paul is quoting goes straight from Deuteronomy yeah. to the Gospel of Luke, and 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 puts them together. Yeah. You know, in in because that that second part of the quotation mm. that he says is not from the Old Testament; mm. it's from the story of Je- from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And I love the fact yep. that we're already getting that in that. Yeah, that's time. right. So already in the first generation, so you've got a strong sense of that. Of course, it takes some time for them to get a clear sense of what they're going to include, mm-hmm. and there there are a number of books that they that they perhaps could could have included that just did not meet a very, very strict criteria. Yep. And what we have in our New Testament today is a, a, 
a group of books that met a very, very strict criteria, you know, apostolic authorship uh, some or some connection with the apostolic circle. Mm-hmm. It didn't have to be apostolic authorship, mm-hmm. uh, a kind of coherence, the general acceptance in the, in the church yes. and by the bishops of the church yes. from the earliest period. Uh, there's a, even a sense of self-authentication yeah. in the actual value in the books themselves. Like mm. this is just, this is true. So you get this, first it's really the fourfold gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Mm-hmm. They're being spoken about from the earliest stages. Mm-hmm. Paul's writings are written earlier and certainly Paul's writings were treated uh, as scripture, yeah, pretty much right from the get go. Yeah. and again, this is a man whose whose writing, whose message was attested with signs and wonders, really, mm. as with Peter and and these guys. So, mm. again, there was a pretty strict criteria. Now, again, it's not this neat. It just dropped. Here is this list that dropped <laughs> out of the sky. You know, it's it's messy. There's you know conspiracy theories that say, well, it was all chosen by Constantine. Constantine decided. Yeah. No, no, he, he, it was during the time of Constantine that at last the church could actually get together. Uh, officially. Officially. Yep. And put the final touch. Mm. And, and so late in the fourth century, um, they actually finalized, no, it's this. Yeah. Uh, uh, but really, that was pretty much understood mm. up to that. Up to that point, yeah. Okay, so I personally am happy with all of that. All right. Yeah. This, by the everything that I've said, mm. and again, I just really want to underscore this is kind of crude, very, very simplistic. Yeah. I'm really even my sort of apologetic for the accuracy of the historicity of the Bible. It's it sounds like very crude summary because I'm trying to cover a lot in we, one in one session. We are flying fast, yeah. way overhead. I mean, yeah. we could get lost in the weeds and all of it, and it's a beautiful thing to get lost in the weeds yeah. of. But here's the thing: here's here's what I want to I want to shift gears here for the final part of the podcast, right? Yeah. Because we've covered you know all, all of the how we got it and what it is, and you know the history of it there, and and how important it is, and all, all that type of criticism around it. But Here's, here's the button, you know, the old the old adage, the, the heart lies on the right side of the butt. Yeah. All of that sort of this is gonna sound this is gonna sound yeah. horrible. I'll I'll say it like this. I meet a non-believer in the street. We yeah. get to we get to talking. And if I start telling them and you know, because culture has changed, like even a couple of generations ago, if I stood up in the public square and said, mm. the Bible says Everyone would go well. Yep. Okay. You know we can't argue yep. with that. Now, if I say, if I stand up in the public square and says the Bible says, majority of people are going to go. Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people say, oh no, it's been proven to be yeah. false. Whatever. Uh, no, no. By by that methodology, guilty until proven innocent. <laughs> it's it's been declared to be inaccurate. But yeah. that's you know, I mean. In many cases, its accuracy has actually been proven. But again, so there is a lot of scepticism. There's a lot of misinformation about uh, out there about it. But in the, in the world that we live in now, in 2020, full of conspiracy theories and everything can believe yep. everything, and there is no truth doesn't really, it's whatever true for yep. you, even, even if you stood up and said, well, here is the exact scientific proof for every verse, for everything. Yep. This is stood up to the test of time. This, if we go through all of the textual criticism that proves the Bible is what it is, 
people still turn around and go, so? I don't care. Yeah. That doesn't have anything. There's this, we, we have this obsession with the latest and the recent and anything that comes out of the distant past. Mm. Oh, it's just archaic. It's primitive. Yeah. You know, yeah. they pull out the primitive word. Yeah. Well, maybe in our age, maybe there are things that we have lost because of the way that we think. Yeah. Maybe our advances are not all advances. Maybe there is something that we can hear out of the very distant past. Maybe there's something that has been revealed, and certainly I believe there is. Mm. Uh, I believe that God is a God who has revealed himself to people and they've written down and it carries all the human characteristics, but it was attested um, and and we have that handed down to us today. Now, of course, that's going to be fodder for all sorts of criticism. It, they're going to be like seagulls on a packet of chips, yeah. you know, yeah. all the critics. You, it's to be expected, right, because yes. it comes from the ancient past. Yeah, yeah. So it must be archaic. They're all just, you know, it's all lies trying to, you know, whatever the, whatever they say. Yeah. I think that's a very difficult case to make. But anyway, if you if that's the way that you can operate – if that's what you, the way you want to do it, that's what you'll believe. And, but and Jesus he, provides the key, I think, to seeing if it's true. Uh, Jesus said, if you want to see that what I'm saying is true, then do what I say. Yeah. You know, that's walk in the path and, and you'll and, see and, whether it's and true. And this is the most frustrating thing that I, I'm going to say for some people about the Bible. But this is as I, the older I get, the more I think this is true. Mm. We are taught in the scripture that unless the Holy Spirit, opens our eyes to the truth of the scripture. Yeah. You can be someone in the street yeah. who goes, who cares? That's right. The, and and that's we can spend point. all yeah. day, all day and all night. I mean, God bless. We, we, we're living, as we're recording this right now, a, a godly saint, a, a person who, who God has used mightily in the culture over the over his lifetime, Ravi Zacharias. Mm. The amazing apologetics, mm. the man of apologetics uh, is... is very, very sadly, on death's death's door. Mm. It could be between now now of us recording this and releasing this. Right, who, I didn't know that. Okay. Who, yep. Yeah, his cancer. Uh, it's really, really bad. It's really, really bad. And, and and you know, thank you, Ravi Zacharias, for all the work that you've done mm. in this yeah, world of great. apologetics. Yeah. And he is amazing because even he can he he listens to some of him, and he can stand up and argue with the best of them about textual things, about yeah, yeah. science proving things, about look at this truth and look at the and he can go on and on and on. But in the end, he'll say, "But unless you're called of God, yeah, and the Holy Spirit is shining this truth in your heart, who cares? It doesn't yeah. matter. It's like you need to step into the family discussion to, you know, trust involves something." As you say, supernatural, yeah. and uh, and and I think this is something that you have to see from the inside, really. But that is the most frustrating thing for the modern man to say. Yeah, this what comes back to the, is this? that comes back to the discussion that we had about knowledge and the kind of knowledge that we demand. We want, you know, we want to examine everything scientifically and see that it's true. And like this, knowledge is mastery. Yeah. It's knowledge on our terms. Well, God says, no, you'll know by being mastered. That's when you'll know. And, you know, I connected with the Bible not because I just, you know, went through some scientific process of discovering that it was true. Oh. You know, uh, I had this this uh, dramatic, you know, conversion experience that just saw me 
on the inside by the grace of God <laughs> by supernatural means. And I'm looking at the Bible and it's it's so full of me- meaning. It's like God is speaking to me through this book and I'm reading about Moses and it's like I feel like I'm there. I feel like I get it, Moses. I know what is going on, mm. you know. And so that's what I was saying at the start, the sense of connection that, that you then have is something that can only be brought about mm. by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. I think the next the next thing, just as we draw this to a close, is to remember that the Bible is written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and so uh, the the key thing then is to get a good translation of the Bible. And I think it's worth saying something about translations. Okay, I think one. Look, there are so many translations, and and sometimes I wonder whether that's even a problem. You get a bit bit lost in and then new translations come out and you think oh man do we really need another translation because even the most widely used translations even they are being updated all the time but 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 here's the problem here's the problem it's the same argument that i have with beautiful you know it's it it, these two arguments i I sort of put them in the same basket beautiful young christians coming to me and going but there's so many translations. Which one is right? The next argument they will say the next week they go. But there's so many denominations. Which one? Yeah. Why? There's there's this longing that we have, especially in the yeah. church, for one unified voice of the scripture and one unified body of the church. Yeah. It's. I hate to break this to you. It's never going to happen. <laughs> it's never yeah. going to happen here on earth. And and it's good that the work of translation is is. Um, you know, there's lots of translation yeah. going on. It gives us lots of comparison and, and so forth. But uh, I think to to help guide people through the maze of translations, what do I use? Well, I mean, there are a lot of there, there are a lot that you can use. But there's probably some criteria that I would apply yeah. to choosing a really good translation. First of all, you need to map uh, a translation. A translation they come in different kinds and I'm going to map it on a scale. Spectrum? Yes, yeah, spectrum. Okay. Of word for word to thought for thought. Okay. okay because so it's on, one, com- on one end of the spectrum, word for word. Yeah. So, you know, when you translate, you know, again, for what, if you if you know languages, and I don't know languages at all, but some languages you translate word for word and in English, well, that adjective yeah. doesn't really say That's right. Because they're using different idiom and yeah. – and, you know, they they shoot out the lip at me. Yeah, is a, a a sort of word for word, word for word. Trend. Well, what does what does that mean? Yeah. Oh, they mock me. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, but we don't use that idiom, so we don't really know what it means. Yeah. So a word for word translation will perhaps uh, try to capture, get us closer to the original text. Okay. And then um, on the other end, and of then the on the other end, you've got the thought for thought, which is more dynamic, mm-hmm. and just helps us interpret. What they mean a bit more, okay. But there's a there's a very big danger in thought for thought. Yeah, because whose thoughts are we interpreting? Exactly. Here? So, so the more you go to the thought for thought <laughs> translations, the more interpretive element there is. Now, I but think they're that, easier to read. That's the advantage of the thought for thought translations. But if you go a little bit beyond, well, not not a little bit beyond, but if you yeah. go past the thought for thought fr- yeah. translation, you're then getting into something that's not really a translation. It is really. A paraphrase. a paraphrase or a reinterpretation. Yeah. 
and there's many reinterpretations today and I think we've crossed the we've crossed a line in the last decade where now some of those reinterpretations some of those paraphrases are being quoted and talked about as if it was a translation. Yeah, so uh, uh, the most famous paraphrase is the message yeah. by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson didn't never intended that to be seen as a translation. Yeah. He was doing something creative, uh, a, a sort of creative retelling of it. I think it's wonderful what he does. Yeah. Uh, the problem is is that people refer to it like it's the but this is what the Bible no. says. Read the message. No, actually, no, no, <laughs> that's not what the Bible says. No, that's a that's what Eugene yeah, Peterson says. Y- yeah. That, that's a paraphrase of the Bible. Yeah. Now, Through the this p- is not just being pedantic because no. it matters. Oh. It matters what the Bible actually says. It really matters. Mm. Amen. And I mean, the, the I mean, the latest thing is um, you know in, that really is characteristic of the time in which we live is people wanting translations that. Say the sorts of say things the way that they want them to say them. Yep. And the classic example of this is the Passion Translation, which which is problematic uh, because it, it sometimes it translates and then at other times it not just dynamic but pa- but paraphrases and adds whole. No, I wouldn't uh, even whole say lines. I wouldn't even say it's a paraphrase. Sometimes. Oh, sometimes. look, it, it's. It, I mean, it's had quite a lot of bad reviews because of this, because of this inconsistency. And a lot of people are saying you cannot call this uh, a translation. Let me give you um, some uh, small uh, examples um, uh, here. So this is just from the letters of Paul. This is a a Pauline uh, scholar who is pointing out some issues here. So... um, so in Galatians 2.19, there's a phrase, a Greek phrase that simply means that I might live for God, and it's been translated, so that I can live for God in heaven's freedom. Mm-hmm. Now, the heaven's freedom bit, like it's a great-sounding phrase, right, and, and it's, you know... Looks, looks it, good on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> it, but it's just actually not in the original text. Let me give you another example um, in... Uh, let me look here. Mm-hmm. So um, in Galatians 6 1, there's the phrase, in any transgression. Okay. Yes. And it's been translated in the Passion Translation as overtaken with a fault and has fallen from the place of victory. None of that, that that's, you know, I mean, none of that is in the Greek text. Now, here's the thing people read the one in any transgression. And then they read overtaken with, and they say, oh, I much prefer the last one. Mm. Like, you know, I much prefer the bit that adds the in heaven's freedom bit. Mm. You know, I much prefer a fan. But here's the thing. It's not about what we personally prefer. You've got to ask the question, what actually is in the original translation? And that's not in the original translation. So, so, you know, we're, look, we're in the age of marketing and, and, uh, you, you know, catering for, yeah. Where the customer is everything. Well, can I suggest customers that we do not make the criteria what we want to be there, but what actually was there, and whether that's a accurate translation? Now, now of it. here's here's the thing, Matt. And this is this is something that you know we could go down a rabbit trail here, but I'll I'll just strongly suggest this. Look, the Passion Translation comes out of Bethel, comes out of Bill Simmons working with you know the Bethel team in there and everything like that from that church and that. And that 
custom and that practice. Bill Johnson has come out and said this is a great translation. He's put his stamp, stamp of approval on it. Uh, Simmons, who's who's done the translation, has literally said in multiple, multiple interviews, and you can find them mm. online, that this translation was given to him by God, by Jesus himself. Now, I for one, and I'm happy that you can send all the hate mail to me, <laughs> not to Matt, I just say I'm sorry that's not correct. That's I, I really believe we're on dangerous, shaky ground right now because you now have people pulling out this this thing that is not a translation, the passion. And look, does it does it include like does it have ninety five percent of God's word in it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. But there's five percent added in there that should not be added in there mm. that we are warned about in Scripture. Do not add to this word, right? Mm. And and when you start using the vernacular and the language that no no this was given to me by God well for some that is a major authority and they're going to take it as that but for but for us who hold scripture you know holy and we see the tradition of it and we see the the history of it I I think we're crossing into a dangerous territory now that this this is this type of work is getting accepted into the church yeah well um uh, I. I, I read a little bit about the author, and I, I think that I, I feel like that may be overstating it a bit. But I have I have read his testimony that he, you know, said things like that, and, and indeed, you know, maybe he has. But it's important that no one. It's really important that no one gets to play the God card. God, you know, God has given this to me. It can never be above criticism. We we need to always submit whatever we think Amen. God has given us to uh, to our community and to allow that to be tested. Uh, that's a really important principle. I think no, no one would doubt that. Mm. So the fact is, is that it, you know, it's been put out there and there, you know, the, the experts on translation, you know, are, are saying, look, this really is inconsistent. It's not a good translation. Mm. It's, it claims to be based on an old, you know, it's remembered that, that talk, talked about the Aramaic, you know, that claims to be based. There's this, it's almost a, um, it is a bit of a conspiracy thing about some older Aramaic translation yeah. there. Well, um, uh, it sort of claims to be. Ref- there's a number of problems with it. There's a, if you, um, if you, there's an article online. If you, what's wrong with the Passion Translation? If you do a search on that, we'll put a link a, in the show notes. A great, we'll put a, a link great in the article uh, on that. Now, look, um, you know, I, I, um, I've drawn a lot from Bill Johnson stuff, and and you know, I'm and I've met Bill and I've even ministered at the church there uh, with Sons of Korah. And so, you know, I, I have no quarrel there. That doesn't mean I accept everything that, mm. that happens there. Um, but, uh, you know, like Bill isn't a, he's not a New Testament scholar. What yeah. I'm interested in, what, what are, what are the rest of the transla- evangelical translating community uh, saying about this? So let's, anyway, we, we've gotten, Focused on the one. Sorry, that's just, sorry. I mean, that's just because that's a very popular. Yeah, that's the latest and, popular thing. That's the thing happening. And, and right I think now. It, it exemplifies, I guess, a bit of an issue around um, choosing. We've got to be careful. We're not choosing Bibles that say things the way that I want them to say. Yeah. Um, that's a very kind of postmodern kind of thing, isn't it? Definitely. Uh, it's it's um, this is very truth. consumerist. Yeah, this is sort truth. of approach my to the truth. Bible. This yeah. is my truth. So uh, I, I think um, we we should. Use a translation that is written that uh, is created by um, committees that have very strong accountability to each other. Mm-hmm. 
um, NIV, ESV, you know, these, these uh, are produced by large groups of people that look at it and look at it again and check it and double-check it yep. and so forth. New Living Translation as well. Yeah, that's one. right. New Living Translation as well. So so I would suggest three my, – my suggestion would be three translations. Out of all – I mean, there are plenty of other great ones. Yeah. But these are what I suggest. On the word for word, the ESV I think is a really good translation. Right. Um, in – at the other end, the New Living Translation is actually a really good dynamic translation. Great for reading aloud. Yeah. And, in fact, if I was going to read through the Bible in six months, that would probably be, you know, uh, a good... good um, one to um, fly through. Yeah, one to fly through. I, I use that to read to my kids, yep. uh, the New Living Translation, to read the Bible to my kids. Um, uh, the NIV is good because it sits somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why it's the most popular translation yep. today. So... I generally recommend the the NIV yep. uh, for that for that purpose. And the New King James is sort of hovering in there as well. Uh, the New King James is down the literal end. Yep. But remember, the New King James is a translation from a a compilation text that has some issues with yep. it. Yeah, yep. yeah. And there's there's plenty of other uh, plenty of other oh plenty of other good translations out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. so be mindful. And I always say, you know what? Have a look at a few. We live in a world now where literally on the computer for free, we yeah. can bring up multiple translations next to each other yeah. and read a few together. Yeah, you know, type of thing. Now, I want to. I don't want to. I feel like we've, we're leaving everybody with a bad taste in our mouths yeah. with with looking at translations and mentioning the passion and all mm. that type of stuff. I want to change gears and finish this up. Wrap yeah, this yeah. up with this. We are people of the word, and mm. when I say we, I mean Christianity. Mm. You know. I, I, and I, and I really want to stress that because I really do feel sometimes that when we – I get so passionate about the Word of God. Mm. I get so passionate about studying it and, and studying it well and reading it well and living in it and wanting to know it. But I feel that sometimes today our spiritual practice in the church, in the West, is to say, look, that's all fine and good for you nerds, but I'm – just want an experience. I want to go to church and sort of feel something and sing some songs and mm. read an Instagram bumper sticker and, and, and sort of feel like God's God sort of speaks to me like that. And I, I, I just, you know, I feel these and I and I to me, I look at that and go, how can that be Christian? Because we're meant mm. to, I mean, the word of God calls itself the word of God and says that we can only know him. By the word of God. I mean, for crying out loud, I, I read through Psalm 119 again the other night, and that sets the mark so high. Mm. You know, the Psalm 119 is is the longest chapter in the Bible, a beautiful song in this dead set center of the of the Word of God. Yeah. That basically every verse extols the virtues of God's Word. That's right. And then when I have a relationship with God, I can't stop thanking Him for the yeah. Word of God. Yeah. And I, I don't know. That's right. So, well, I mean, the our, our trust, of course, our faith is in God, and God reveals Himself through His Word. Yeah. And uh, so, I guess first of all, it's important to recognise that you know we're not worshiping the Bible here. No. And uh, no one's saying that. Uh, but uh, I think that a good way to see the Bible and the role of the Bible is that it is the gateway to connecting with and walking with God. It's the gateway to that. Like it is uh, it, it is the basis of our faith in the sense that it reveals who God is, what God has planned, and what God has promised. Mm. 
And faith isn't just some airy fairy thing that I go off what I feel. No, it's actually, and this is a really interesting and unique feature about the biblical faith. Mm. Um, biblical expressions of worship and prayer, and for example, in the Psalms, and even in particularly in the New Testament, are not. There's no pray, prayers in a vacuum. It's all based on God's self-revelation. Yeah. So it makes it makes biblical faith very distinct in that sense. It's not based on what the guys at the shrine are saying this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not based on on this or that experience. It's ultimately there's something that we can that we can stand on and trust in and hold God to even. Mm. I mean that's the amazing yes. thing yes. about this. Yeah. And so the unique thing uh, about biblical faith is that we can we can take this revelation, we can pray it, we can walk in what it says, and it's like a, a gateway. This is important that that we don't stop with the Bible. Like just because you you know memorize the Bible and do all the all the work, and mm-hmm. no, you've actually got to go where it's saying. It's it's like a doorway. But, but, so but, use the doorway. And and I understand what you're saying. And but, but and again, I'm going to pu- I'm not pushing back on this, yeah. Matt. I'm not pushing back on this. But I feel that we again we fo- we set up a false straw man these days, or a false idea that somehow, if whenever I bring up how much I love the Bible mm. and 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 how much now I, I need to make I don't I feel like I shouldn't have to make this clear. I love the Bible and I and I and I thank God for the Bible and I and I am devoted to it because it brings me yeah. closer to God. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah, but you, are you saying that it, it perhaps sounds a little unspiritual? <laughs> sounds ridiculous. No, 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 when, I, when, I, when I bring up how much I love it and how much I want to study it and how much I want to know it and how much yeah. I want to know it, it's because it all leads me to God, of course. I mean, that yeah, to me yeah. is a given. But I think we live in a false dichotomy where someone someone goes, yeah, it's all good to have, you know, word knowledge and everything like that. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, but I really, I know God yeah, through the Spirit yeah. and I yes, have this, right. I have, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I, I just look at them like it's a foreign they they they've got a different religion to me because I go, I don't understand how you've set up this false thing that there is the word and it's dry, and then there's the spirit and it's wet. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, I only I only know of the existence of the Holy Spirit and what he does because of God's word. Yeah. It it's a false dichotomy. Yeah. And, and- and I think most people would agree it's a false dichotomy, but it's so ingrained in contemporary Christian culture because of the sort of charismatic wars, because when the charismatic movement came into being, it was sort of rejected by one half of the church that said, ah, oh, it's, you know, like, and, and kind of, so they were on the Bible side and these guys were on the spirit side and, 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 you know, and and that became a problem for both sides. Really, they really needed to stay together and work uh, it out. And yeah, w- really, w- wouldn't it be because great? we actually yeah. need both? You know, yeah. we need a really strong grounding in the word. We need to be standing on that, mm. and you know, but we need to be living by the spirit. Mm. You know, in accordance with the word by the spirit. Mm. That's what we're called to do. So, um, you know, for me, uh, I I have. Um, a, a walk with God that is very experiential in in a number of ways. I really insist on that. I, it's a relationship, so it, it, it it's an experience. I want to I want to walk with God. I want to talk to God. I want God to talk to me. The role of the Bible in that is absolutely crucial. It's absolutely crucial, mm. and 
to me it's a it's based on my ability to to map my way through the spiritual life the ability to discern to to see even to see to even there's even a sense in which the bible teaches us the language of god it's Amen. like the language of faith Amen. and it's like how do we learn a language well it's by um you know by by being in a community that speaks that language and then we can converse. And and so there is a language of faith in the Bible that we need to learn to speak, a conceptual language, a framework within which this life in the spirit um, proceeds. Mm. And I think it's really vital that we don't give up the one for the other. That can be sometimes just an excuse for laziness, really. Oh, I'm just living by the Spirit. Well, because I can't be bothered really reading the Bible. <laughs> you, you said that, not me, all right? You're the pastor um, there, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, because I, 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 because I don't think anyone really doubts the value of the Bible. I just think yeah. in practice that dichotomy gets set up and I think it's a really unfortunate one. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate uh, part of that is that is that we can really lose ultimately lose that experience or that experience can go awry if it's not guided by and fed by what we have in scripture so it's both those things in a really really important sense I think that's a great place to finish. Uh, you know, we usually finish with wise words there, but I think that's a great place to finish. There's so much more we could say about that. Mm. And as we wrap up this episode of Thrive Perspectives, please, if you've got any questions about anything that we've talked about in, uh, you know, the Bible and even talking, you know, you might have questions about any part of that. We would love to hear from you. So please get in touch. And uh, Matt, we'll be back here in a fortnight. See you then. For listening to Thrive Perspectives, we want to hear from you. So send us your big questions and ideas. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, download other shows, see all of our resources and much, much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now visiting the website ratethispodcast.com slash thrive perspectives really helps us reach more people so head to ratethispodcast.com slash thrive perspectives we hope that these shows will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective and thrive was another DJP.FM production. <laughs>